We're back, and it's a pleasure to say we're joined for the first time by a young man I have only just come across. His name is Christian Watson. He is the host of a very interesting podcast he calls the Pensive Politics Podcast, and he has a YouTube channel, the Christian Watson channel. You will find his um, writings and appearances in a variety of platforms, including USA Today, Newsmax, BBC, Radio London, Washington Examiner, and more. And he is also the spokesperson for something called Color Us United. And maybe, Christian, I'd ask you to start by telling us a little bit about that. First of all, welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. It's great to have you with us, sir. Thank you so much, Frank. I'm happy to be here. So Color Us United is basically a media campaign which is designed to do one thing. It's designed to to, to basically tell Americans uh, the truth about, you know, our our country. And that is that not only as a country, but as a people, we are all colorfully united by our differences. So our identities, whether it's our race or whatever, do not define us as human beings. Our uniqueness defines us as human beings. And we're here to kind of fight against the tide of, uh, of this intelligentsia, intelligentsia, which has basically been trying to convince Americans that their differences, their race or whatever, makes them different or makes them oppressed or not oppressed or dominant or not dominant. We're rejecting that message and bringing a very different uh, message to the American people. Well, bless you for doing so. It certainly uh, is indisputably needed at the moment. And I'm reminded of uh, how needed by the recent performances of a number of athletes ostensibly representing our country at the Tokyo Olympics who have chosen to use opportunities afforded them to essentially revile our nation, uh, whether it's taking knees or turning their back on the flag or what have you. Um, they're not alone in doing this, of course, but it's a particularly vivid example of the problem that I think your Color Us United effort is trying to counter. And I, I guess I'd ask you, Christian, to the extent that you have been thoughtfully, if I can use that expression, pensively thinking about these things and, and addressing them in various ways, to what extent is this a product not simply of what's been taught in our schools of late or the sort of larger new left movement that it spawned, uh, I think was spawned by, but it, really the hostility of um, foreign powers, including notably communist China, uh, to use sort of Maoist race warfare techniques to try to weaken our country. Um, in other words, are we seeing not just this problem from sort of uh, enemies within, but uh, enemies without as well. Yeah, so I, I, I think a few things. I think as it relates to the knee thing, that although there are a lot of Americans who are convinced, who are sincerely convinced that the problems of America are reflected in our symbolism. And regardless of what one thinks of American symbolism, one thing is clear, and this is, should not be a controversial opinion, a symbol simply represents an idea. It does not represent a certain kind of, or at least in the terms of the flag, the flag itself, I'll speak to the flag, not any other symbol. The flag itself represents an idea. It does not represent any, in any particular point in history. Yet I think when folks do take the knee, they kind of conflate the flag with a certain point in history that they may think is undesirable. And that's kind of, you know, missing the forest for only the trees. 
And so, but 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 there is a industry uh, in the woke movement that is pushing this kind of stuff, and they are you know encouraging this kind of dissent. And look, we are Americans; dissent is a part of our DNA. But I think that rational dissent is much more powerful than simply emotionally driven dissent. And so I really can't I can't speak to what China is doing. I've I've heard things, but I really can't speak to it authoritatively. But I can speak to what people like Kaepernick or the Olympic athletes a few days have done. And I think that it is really a misguided attempt to address particular issues by besmirching universal principles. And that will always get, get you off the mark, in my opinion. You have spoken out against um, the so-called critical race theory doctrine and indoctrination, um, Christian. And I'm interested as to, as a, as a young, black, thoughtful, articulate spokesman for this initiative that is trying to bring us together um, how would you characterize uh, this? Uh, well, I, I think of this hate America agenda um, as a phenomenon inside, um, you know, both communities of color and more broadly. Is it is it anything other than you know de- designed to divide and undermine our country? Theory. I think um, I think the term communities of color legitimizes these kind of approaches. I think that's a, can be some, it can be somewhat um, it can be somewhat dangerous because uh, I, I think of a community. I don't think of a community of a particular race. I think of a community of individuals who are united by their unique differences. A community of people who are hardworking and simply want to make a good living for their kids and and, and make an impact in the world in some some way. I think that's what a lot of people, a lot of Americans at least want to do. That's in our DNA. Um, but what the critical race does would say is it would say, no, no, these are communities of color. These are um, these are communities of black people or white people, and they have been impacted by X, Y, and Z, and therefore they're suffering from X, Y, and Z, and you cannot convince me otherwise. So critical race theory is basically, I call it an academic rhetorical device, which likes to view American institutions through the lens of racism. It likes to view um, um, certain statistical um, facts and disparities through the lens of racism, and then uses those two things to advance certain policy prescriptions. Um, and, and really, it was started as a legal tradition in the late 70s, early 80s by Kimberly Crenshaw and her uh, compadres. And it was basically an attempt to pick up where they believe the civil rights movement just didn't really fulfill its purpose. Um, the critical race theorists believe the civil rights movement was too, quote unquote, colorblind and assimilationist, and that overlooked, in their opinion, some glaring, um, some glaring spots where Black Americans were still getting a bad hand. Um, the problem with critical race theory is that it redefines racism. It views Black Americans as entirely oppressed, and it views White Americans and even the idea of quote unquote whiteness as inherently evil. Um, it has no respect for American founding traditions or institutions, and yet it wants to use our institutions for ends that they were not meant for, and that itself is malevolent. So there are just a lot of things about critical race theory that are really concerning, and should the hairs on all of our heads should stand up whenever we hear people talk about American history that way. You've written a very thoughtful piece uh, the other day at the Washington Examiner entitled, Without Inequity, Diversity is Impossible. Talk a little bit about this idea of equity and how it and uh, sort of its uh, companions, diversity and inclusion, are now being used, you know, to essentially, again, fracture our country and 
achieve outcomes that will almost certainly be highly detrimental to, again, as you say, individuals as well as the nation as a whole? Absolutely. So um, the idea of equity, at least as it's posed by people on the left, is that there are certain groups, and it's very important to, to get this phrase, there's certain groups in this country that have had a worst or bad hand historically than other groups, and that may reflect in those groups standing in society currently. Therefore, an equitable approach will be to give those groups a hand up, to give those groups the resources that they would need to succeed, where other groups who have already had those resources have already succeeded, or at least this is what they think. Now, of course, the problem with this approach is that it's very generalizistic. There are plenty of white folks who are wealthy. There are also plenty of white folks who are dirt poor, go to Appalachia. I'm not entirely sure that the equity people would be going to Appalachia, looking at the white folks and saying, you know what, you're oppressed. Because again, that doesn't fit their narrative. There are plenty of black folks who are rich. There are plenty of black folks who are middle class. All, our circumstances in life and our problems in life are, I think, defined by our own individual journeys in life, not by some mythical group membership that we're supposed to have off the basis of an incredibly arbitrary. So I think the idea that equity falls right there is not really applicable. I cannot account, Frank, for groups. I cannot account for those sort of abstract concepts. I can only account for my neighbor, my neighbor's neighbor, my, my family and my friends. And that's where we live. If you live in observable empirical reality, that's where you live. Equity is just a, a, a sort of um, egalitarian concept doesn't take into account the very real bare bones facts of, of, of reality. But the problem is, when you have a concept like that that is put into reality, destruction is bound to happen. Chaos is bound to happen. This is what Vogelin warned against, eminentizing the eschaton. I think Buckley also put it that way. You know, trying to bring heaven upon earth. That is precisely what these people are trying to do. They're trying to explain all differences by calling them injustices and then roll them away with the wand when in all reality. That would just cause a lot of destruction. This, again, sounds to me very much like, you know, sort of Marxist utopianism um, and uh, to assure that there are equal outcomes, not equal opportunities. Uh, the antithesis, really, of American individualism and self-reliance and uh, the opportunities that are afforded to all of us to make the most of our lives by um, hard work and, uh, you know, uh, dedicating ourselves, hopefully, to, you know, uh, the betterment of our society, but certainly in the process, assuring our own um, fulfillment. When you look at this kind of agenda, uh, Christian, it clearly has at its core um, this sense of grievance, um, you know, promotion and uh, harnessing for political ends, does it not? And and how, you know, would you recommend we respond to what is clearly still an ascendant force in American politics, this this idea that um, identity politics uberalis? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do believe that there is a very powerful political force in this country that utilizes grievance, utilizes the emotional energy of a lot of people, particularly a lot of minorities, um, for certain political purposes. Now, with that being said, do I think that the people who are doing this are doing it because they do not believe it? No, I think that there are folks in this country that actually believe 
and not everything they're saying. I, particularly, I think it's the, the people in the upper echelon who are pushing through these theories in academia who actually believe that they are true. Um, you know, there's nothing there's nothing worse, and I like to say this a lot, there's nothing worse than a fool who thinks he's not a fool. There's nothing worse than someone who is willfully ignorant and is completely oblivious that he is willfully ignorant. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's what's going on with academia. I think people like Abe Max Kendi and Rama D'Angelo, some of the thought leaders of this new kind of movement, of this push for equity, amongst other, among other things, actually do do believe this. I think that people who kind of uh, predate them, like you know, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, have also been uh, sort of harbingers for this kind of thing as well. And so um, the question is, how do we fight back against it? We fight back against it by understanding what the first principles of this country are predicated upon. We fight back by understanding that America is not just an abstract concept that exists somewhere in the ideas realm or whatever. No, no. America's ideas are good because they are real, because they are material, because they are tangible, and because they allow human beings to be as free as possible within the proper moral and ethical constraints. And when you have that very concrete real idea that we can all live out every day without going to some classroom, without you know trying to rationalize some formula or whatever, to have those real uh, ideas that are real and tangible uh, – is to have an advantage against ideas like this equity stuff, like this anti-racism stuff, that are rather distant prospects of a kind of society that people want to create. So I say stick to what's real. Stick to what our founders understood what's real. Stick to what you know generations of Americans understood what's real, and embody that spirit by you know not allowing our traditions to be ruthlessly deconstructed in the, in, in the name of their equal. We have to reject that. Um, we have to um, acknowledge that America is a good country, even though we've had mistakes. And we have to have a more, I would say, enlightenment-based approach to conversations around race and equity that do not involve attacking anyone or redefining racism, but involve talking to people about their individual experiences with racism that they've had and how we can move past this kind of mindset in society. That's how we beat this thing. Um, the two questions that occur, and just very quickly, if you would, uh, the idea of reparations being imposed and equity preferences, as I believe they're now being called. Um, what are your thoughts on those two hot-button issues, Christian? Yeah, reparations. Yeah, reparations is the idea that justice can be dispensed even if people who justice would be dispensed against um, are not alive anymore. And I think that's just a very warped idea of justice. Justice is not about giving people things equally, which is what social justice people think it's about. Justice is about very simply, this will sound very simple and intuitive, but it's lost on many people, protecting someone's rights. There is no one whose rights is being violated today by the fact that slavery occurred many, many years ago. So just from that very simple viewpoint, um, simple viewpoint, but that that very simple viewpoint, reparations is unnecessary. Um, ethical preferences, yeah. So this is what happens when you have a a mindset that says certain groups, not individuals, but certain groups are at a disadvantage. You will take folks from those groups, so affirmative action did, and you will give them preferential treatment, um, typically the detriment of other people who may have been more um, have more qualifications or what have you. This is what happened with the Harvard case with the Asians and everything. Uh, and I think that, again, representative of a mind that cannot conceptualize differences beyond injustice. So we have to first understand a proper principle of what justice is, and then get rid of the false ones, and then be willing to accept that differences are, are okay. Not everyone performs at the same level. We are all, as human beings, still equal in our freedom and our value, and that's what matters. 
So those are my thoughts. Thank you. And thank you for succinctly describing them. Um, very quickly, how do you uh, find more out about um, Color Us United? Uh, where should people go for uh, details? Absolutely. So just go to colorusunited.org. You can follow us on all of our social media. Just type in Color Rush United on your favorite platform. And you can find us there. You can send an email to me or email to anyone else on our staff. You can donate to us. You can sign up for our, our list, our mailing list. And, you know, I'm just very happy I was able to come on and talk to you. It's been our pleasure. I hope you'll come back soon. Christian Watson of Pensive Politics and also Color Us United. Oh, it's been a delight to um, get your thoughts on all of these hot button issues, as I say, and what we should be doing about them. And as I say, I'd love to visit with you about this further in the future. Thank you for time today. I hope we'll be talking with the rest of you again tomorrow. Same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Afney. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. This is Frank Gaffney with a word about a truly great American patriot in urgent need. Rich Higgins served in the U.S. Army and as a key civilian Pentagon official and senior strategist on President Trump's National Security Council. After he left the NSC, Rich continued advising Mr. Trump and others about the threats we are facing from enemies, foreign and domestic. He chronicled his experiences over the past 20 years fighting for America First in a terrific memoir entitled The Memo. Now this courageous freedom fighter is gravely ill due to severe complications caused by the Chinese Communist Party virus. He urgently needs help to defray the enormous costs of successive surgeries and a prospective organ transplant. I urge you to join me in contributing to a GoFundMe campaign named Medical Help for Rich Higgins. That's Medical Help for Rich Higgins at GoFundMe.com. God bless you and Rich Higgins.